Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my permanent co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. Man, it feels like it took forever, but we're finally to the all-star break, and at least we uh, ended on a high note here. Nice yeah. little sweep of the Tigers. Yeah, that was nice. It was nice. Nice little sweep of a, a team that definitely should be swept by the Red Sox. This is your uh, July 8th edition of the show, and on today's show, we are going to discuss where the Red Sox stand at the All-Star break, uh, which is where we are right now, and uh, what will be done with this team in the future. Will they make any moves? Should they make any moves? We'll talk about where they stand in the standings who's performing, who's not on the roster, and then explore some trade possibilities for this team. So we're, we're really going to do sort of a, a big check-in uh, for, the, for the Red Sox. Um, Keaton, how was your 4th of July? 
It was great. I uh, went to a friend's place. Uh, they just moved there about a month ago, so it was like a little uh, housewarming welcome party for them. Hang out on their roof. It was nice and sunny. There's fireworks everywhere. It was a blast. That sounds lovely. Well, the other thing that was lovely was the Red Sox here. Um, going into the break, they won five out of six games, including that aforementioned sweep of the Detroit Tigers. Where does that place them in the standings? Well, it still has them a whopping nine games back of the New York Yankees. They did gain one game on the Yankees uh, today with that victory over the Tigers. We're recording this on a Sunday. You're going to be hearing this on a Monday. Um, That's a good thing that they are gaining games or one game, but they're still nine games back. So substantially back in the division. They are just two and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays. And when you look at the AL wildcard picture, uh, the Red Sox are just two games back of the Cleveland Indians for the second uh, wildcard spot there. Um, And the Oakland A's are also tied with them for just two games back. Cleveland Indians themselves are scorching hot as well. The Indians ended uh, their last two series before the All-Star break with six straight wins. Um, So... As hot as the Red Sox are, their competition has been just as hot. Yep, that's not a great sign. It is Red Sox seemingly, well, hopefully not, but it, it seems like they may have missed their chance to really kind of separate themselves from these teams because Cleveland for the longest time was really just kind of treading water. Texas and Oakland as well. Texas kind of started the season off really underwhelming and then hit their hot streak and maybe they're, they're starting to cool off again. Oakland has really been just hammered with injuries and they're just kind of treading water until they get some guys back and they just got some good news on Sean Manaya. looks like he actually might be able to come back here for the stretch run in the second half that's not a great sign if you're trying to compete against them and in Cleveland it looks like they're starting to put things together and they might actually be buyers at the deadline instead of sellers which is not what we kind of expected and again that's not great because if they have a healthier rotation uh, in the second half that's going to be trouble Because their rotation is pretty stacked. Would you agree that out of the teams that are in contention for that second wildcard spot at this point, the Texas Rangers, the Oakland Athletics, and the Cleveland Indians, aside from the Red Sox, I should say, um, that the Oakland A's and the Cleveland Indians seem to be a cut above of the Texas Rangers? Yes. Cleveland's lineup is significantly worse, but their pitching is significantly better, and if you're going into a one-game playoff, Cleveland has probably four guys that they could pitch that could shut you down on any given day, and that's terrifying. So rank those teams for me in terms of how quality you think they are overall. I think Cleveland's number one. Are we including Tampa Bay here? Not including Tampa Bay. Okay. Cleveland number one, Oakland number two, Texas number three. Okay. I definitely agree with Texas number three. I think I might actually have Oakland even above Cleveland because I do worry that Cleveland does not have the ability to hit enough uh, for them to matter in a series. And I think that they've had some difficulties with their pitching staying healthy this year, for sure. I mean, the obviously the tragic news with Carrasco, Kluber uh, being out for a substantial amount of time, Clevenger being out for a while. Um, depending on how many of those guys are healthy, they're extremely reliant on their pitchers. Whereas I, when I look at the lineup for the Oakland athletics, 
Marcus Simeon, Chapman, Olsen, Chris Davis. You know, up and down that lineup, there are dangerous hitters. And then there are pitchers that simply get it done. Um, and they have a pretty deceptively decent bullpen as well with Trinan and Hendricks and Trevino and Soria and, and lots of guys that are just useful there. So I, I think that Oakland is the team that I would have as as the biggest competition to the Red Sox in that in that race for the second wild card. Their bullpen is sneaky good, but I think that the Red Sox offense can compete with any offense in the majors. And so then to me, I think it just comes down to the pitching. And I just think that even, you know, with inconsistent health, I just like Cleveland's pitching much better than Oakland's. Now, how do you think the Red Sox compare to those three teams? Are the Red Sox a cut above? They should be, but they just aren't because of their pitching right now. I mean, and you can see it in the runs scored and runs against. I mean, the the Red Sox have over 100 more runs scored than Cleveland uh, and almost 100 more runs against because their pitching just isn't hasn't been what it needs to be, but it has the potential to. So the starters need to figure their junk out, and it kind of starts with them. If the starters can get their woes turned around here in the second half, besides David Price has really been the only pillar of consistency that the bullpen or starters have had on this uh, entire pitching staff, uh, everybody else needs to get their crap together. Uh, and kind of start playing to their potential. And if that's the case, then yeah, they should be. Yeah, I agree. I think their their offense is as good as any team in the major leagues, and that includes Houston, that includes the Yankees. I, I take the Red Sox offense really against anybody, or at least in that discussion. Yeah. Um, I certainly think their offense is a lot better than those three wild card teams that we mentioned, or the ones contending for the wild card in Tampa Bay, which is just ahead of all those teams for the first wild card spot. Um, But I agree with you. The starting pitching, which was seen to have been a strength for this team, you know, I I would say that it was looked at as a strength even a month ago if we were talking about this because Chris Sale had sort of righted the ship and David Price was pitching really well. But now that David Price is really the only starter pitching reliably well and we got the news that Eovaldi is not going to be back for that fifth spot, you're looking at a rotation where, where you, you look at it and you're like, man, this this rotation is David Price and whatever Eddie and Porcello are going to give you on any given day and whatever the hell is happening with Chris Sale, there's really not a lot of certainty there. No, there isn't. And you're right. I mean, it seems like as a unit, they've really either been really good or really bad because even like a month ago, like you were saying – uh, Eduardo Rodriguez had strung like three or four really good starts together in a row. Sale had figured his stuff out. We had um, Price actually threw. I mean, uh, Porcello had thrown his best start of the year as well about a month ago. Yeah, against uh, Minnesota, that yeah. eight, eight innings, eight shutout innings, and in a series that we thought was going to be a real test for the Red Sox and kind of show what they could do against a team on the road that at the time had the best record in baseball, or at least in the AL. And then it just kind of all went off the rails. Porcello has, I don't know what he has got going on, but he needs to be significantly better than he's been. Uh, Rodriguez has just been inconsistent. Uh, Chris Sale needs to stop giving up homers, uh, and they don't have a fifth starter. It's just been David Price. So they at least they need to take this time off and kind of just figure out what they've got and just kind of take inventory of themselves, move forward, and have a much better second half. 
Yeah, since that start against Minnesota, Porcello has given up five, six, and six in his last three starts. Uh, just really has not looked anything like himself or what he, he, he looked like before that. Because prior to that uh, start against Minnesota, he had a couple rough outings, but for the most part, he had strung together a, a few in a row that were pretty good. But yeah, it's it's just a really rough stretch of the season for these guys right now. How do you think the Red Sox compare versus Tampa Bay, the team that's definitely their most direct competition considering they're in their division? Tampa Bay, mind you, though, has had some issues of their own in regards to injuries. We mentioned those today uh, when we recorded the Dynasty's Child podcast. Um, but Diego Castillo being hurt, Jose Alvarado being hurt in their bullpen, uh, they're still going with this three-man rotation with a lot of bullpen games, but with a reduced bullpen, that's not the easiest thing in the world as well. Um, and they do have some injuries to some offensive players like Brandon Lau's on the DL, uh, G-Man Choi's on the DL. There's there are some guys, so um, they've been they've been a little bit worse off as of late. Yeah, this is it's an interesting comparison because uh, I think at full health. Tampa Bay might have the better pitching, but the Red Sox have a significantly better offense. But uh, and they have Tampa Bay probably has a better bullpen too. That's probably coming into the season what what Tampa's strength was was their bullpen. Uh, Charlie Morton has been outstanding. Blake Snell has kind of had a confusing year. He's been good uh, with his like his tertiary stats, but his ERA has been pretty poor, and it seems like. Uh, I think Meg Rowley did a, a deep dive on him in Fangraphs, and it, it shows that he's actually just had really extended bad luck, uh, which is kind of interesting to see that's been going on this long. So it's I don't really know what to expect from him going forward, if that is something that is sustainable, if that can continue, or if he'll be back to you know his Cy Young self. Uh, but all of their other top options for starters are all hurt and may not come back. Brent Honeywell, we thought was going to come back. Uh, that's probably not going to happen anymore. Tyler Glasnow, he might not end up coming back. Those are two huge blows to their pitching staff. So if they're basically trying to patch together a pitching staff of Snell and Morton and then the pitcher du jour, uh, then I would say that's going to play in the favor of the Red Sox. But I would still, uh, even with the injuries that Tampa has to their bullpen, I think I still like it better than the Red Sox. Yeah, I think I still like their bullpen better, as, certainly as it's constituted right now before any moves get made. I do wonder what they're going to do at the deadline, considering all the injuries that they have suffered. I wonder if you know a club that's typically more reticent to be buyers at this time of year, I wonder if they'll just stand pat. Uh, and if they do, and if the Red Sox make a move, I think the Red Sox could really gain an advantage there. But I... Th- I think at this point, I do like the Red Sox chances in the second half to be better than all of those teams we talked about. I don't like them to catch the Yankees, but I do like them to finish securely with one of those wild card spots. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the Red Sox secure the number one wild card spot. No, I don't think that would surprise me either. And something that we've been doing here is taking a look at the Red Sox schedule uh, and kind of just seeing what's on the horizon and and talking about that. And they actually, they have a stretch coming up here really right out of the gate. It's not very easy. They're going to get punched in the face. They've got the Dodgers who are the 
best team in baseball, and unfortunately the Red Sox have been pretty bad at home, and they get to host the Dodgers at home. Then they get a four-game set against Toronto, who for some reason just has been a pain in the ass for the Red Sox. And then they have the Orioles, and then 14 straight games, uh, maybe not games, days, of uh, the Rays and Yankees. So Yeah, that's not going to be fun. Nope. nope. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, 14 straight games. Because yep. there's two four-game sets in there. Yeah, 14 straight games against the Raiders and Yankees. They don't really have time to figure their stuff out coming out of the gate. They need to come out of the gate with a plan and start executing it because they very easily could drop all three of those to the Dodgers and start falling even further behind uh, their current position uh, behind the wild card teams. They might have a chance to make it up against the Blue Jays and Orioles, but the way that those teams have played them this year, that's not a given, which is upsetting. Uh, and then they get right into it with Tampa and New York, and those are not going to be easy games at all. So they need to get their stuff figured out right away, and they need to come out swinging in the second half. There's no really time to catch their breath. Yeah, I agree. That's going to be the toughest stretch of the season, and, and probably the the defining stretch of the season when you really look at it. Because after those 14 straight games for the Red Sox against the Yankees and Tampa Bay, their schedule does lighten up quite a bit um, in August. It's not a very grueling schedule. Uh, we know that the Red Sox play very well on the road. They're actually, surprisingly, uh, the team with the most wins on the road in all of uh, the American League, and I believe all of baseball at this point, too. They have 29 wins on the road. Um, they do have some difficult series, but the nice thing about their uh, schedule in the later half of August and in September is that those difficult opponents are pretty well spaced out and they do have a decent amount of off days because the Red Sox did play such a heavy schedule uh, in terms of how many days they went without days off and things like that in the first half. The second half is going to be a little nicer to them in that regard. Yeah, and they do have a significant amount of games against Tampa Bay and Cleveland and Texas. So all of the teams around them, and even if you want to include the Angels, who are not all that far behind them in the wild card. So all the teams that are giving them trouble, uh, they have games against them to make up or extend the ground. So really their fate is in their hand. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, let's take a look at the roster of the Red Sox though right now. And I want to start with the hitters. Um, looking down at the, the the starting position players for this team, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Mookie Betts, Christian Vasquez, J.D. Martinez, uh, Andrew Benintendi, Chavis, all the starters, Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, this is the group that I feel most good about. I think Xander Bogarts has performed well above expectations, having the best year of his career. Ditto for Rafael Devers. Uh, we've talked about being a little bit disappointed with Mookie Betts in his season, certainly from an offensive standpoint. But the guy's still sitting here at this point in the year with nearly a three-war at this point. Uh, Christian Vasquez has exceeded expectations by far. GD Martinez has done what he's supposed to do when he's been healthy. I think Ben Intendi's been a little bit disappointing. Uh, Chavis has, I think, been great uh, for for being a rookie. And Jackie Bradley Jr. has righted the ship and really been a different player for over a month now. So are there any Red Sox players that you feel particularly disappointed in at this point in the season from a position player side? No, I wouldn't say that I am. I mean, I think Mookie Betts has been a bit underperforming, but underperforming by Mookie Betts standards, not really by like league standards. He's still hitting 273 and his OBP is almost 400. So, I mean, you can't really 
be too upset with that. He's got 13 homers, 10 steals. I, I think if I had to pick one guy, it wouldn't be Betts because I, I have faith that Betts is going to have a big second half just because of all the things that he's doing. I mean, you look at his line. I mean, a, a lot of the things are very similar to what he was doing last year. He's just simply not hunting pitches as much as he could. And I think that'll come around. But the the guy who I am disappointed in not taking a leap this year is Andrew Benintendi, who you know now at, at the break has 75 games played, just seven home runs, which is a little bit light for him. Um, in a line of, uh, well, before today's game, 274, 352, 435 with just a 105 WRC+. Plus. Um, that's not good enough from Andrew Benintendi. He needs to be much better than that. Yeah, I would agree. And the quote from Cora was a couple days ago was that he just needs to be more hitterish. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I think we got the point was that he just wasn't doing enough at the plate from what they needed him to do. And I think I would agree with that. And I think the things that there, there are smaller things that he's doing that are positives, like his base running has been significantly improved. Although in fairness, it was going to be pretty difficult to be worse yeah he is a positive uh, value base runner this year he's actually tied with uh, Xander Bogarts for the best uh, base running on the team yeah and that was something that he for consecutive seasons was pretty bad at so it's good to see him taking step forwards there but the strikeout rate really is what he's just not getting it done there his walk rate is fine basically in line with where it has been but his strikeout rate's about six percent higher than it has been the previous two seasons uh he's just missing more pitches than he needs to be and i think you pointed out on a previous pod that his splits are getting a bit worse yeah and he's trending more towards platoon and we can't have that he needs to be trending more towards everyday player and less towards platoon which we've seen him do and excel more towards that so we know he has the potential to do it, and we've seen it. We just need more of it now. Yeah, I agree. Um, who is your first half MVP on the offensive side? Oh, it's got to be Bogarts. Well, uh, I guess that's not as clear cut, but I'm still going to go with Bogarts. <laughs> I'm going to go with Devers. Yeah, um, that's the other one. <laughs> as much as I love Bogarts, I think the jump that we've seen from Devers has just been remarkable. Um he has he's blossomed into really one of the true offensive threats in the game. He's among the the leaders in terms of amount of hard hit balls and the amount of ninety five plus mile per hour balls that he hits and um he's just got so much plate coverage and he's batting well over three hundred and the power has really come on. Um, as as great a season as Bogey has had, and he's had an amazing season. Uh, Devers has done that while playing really good defense at third base after that first month that was just like complete shit. He's been an awesome defender, um, just so stable. And his base running has also been excellent. Uh, he's third on the team in base running as well. So uh, I don't know what you can say about this guy. He, he's he's going into the break with eight steals, just two less than than Mookie Betts. He's he's just tremendous. Did you see? I think it was. Coming into the Tiger series, he was second in the American League in batting average, and he was like 22 points behind LeMahieu. LeMahieu was that far out in front. Wow. LeMahieu's having some type of a year, huh? Yeah. He's come back down to earth a little bit. He's at 336, so he's only 12 points ahead of Devers. But he was, at one point, yeah, he was at like, he was a little over 20 points ahead of him. 
but sure does seem like the Yankees always have these random guys who come to their team and have the best year of their life. Yeah. Uh, who would be your biggest surprise on the offensive side for the first half? Maybe not necessarily your MVP. Yeah, this one I think is fairly obvious. This is Christian Vasquez, and I'm not 100%. sure there is a close second. There is no close second here. As <laughs> it, it is a remarkable thing that Christian Vasquez has been able to do. I mean, he's basically uh, put himself in position to be a top three or four offensive catcher in the game while playing excellent defense. The guy's been incredible. You could probably make a big case that he's been the MVP of the first half. Yeah, I don't think I'd fight you too hard on that. Yeah, just with you know how important he's been for on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, what about your LVP, least valuable player on the offensive side? Ooh, um, I guess Steve Pierce. Mm, Steve Pierce. That, I I have trouble picking him as the LVP just because I think it's all been physical. But I see it. I mean, we were relying on Steve Pierce. That that platoon of Moreland and Pierce was supposed to be, you know, an important part of the team. And neither of those guys have played in a really long time. Although indirectly, without Pierce struggles, probably don't get Chavis. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, we were relying on a lot more or expecting a lot more out of him. And injuries or not, we're just not getting it. Yeah, I think for LVP, I would go with uh, with Ben Intendi for for now, just based on expectations. But I think he'll have a better second half. I agree. Let's, let's move over to the pitching side. Uh, on the pitching side of things, um, who is your MVP so far? Price. David Price. I would agree with that. David Price has just been tremendous this entire season. Uh, he finishes the first half with a 324 ERA. Uh, he's striking out a little over 10 guys per nine. Uh, walks are 2.27 per nine. He's thrown 83 innings, 95 strikeouts. The guy's been an ace all year. He yeah, he's he's been the ace we we needed, and I think this might be the most shocking development of the entire year. Is that uh, after talking about David Price ad nauseum in 2017 and 2018, no one talks about him anymore. It's just like, yeah, David Price is going to go out and throw a great game, and he's going to do that like clockwork every time. And quietly, that 2016 year where David Price threw 230 innings and had a 399 ERA is looking like that's going to be the worst ERA season that he's had in his time in the Red Sox uniform. Good. Yeah. I enjoy not talking about David Price. Me too. I like saying nice things about him. It makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think he's quietly having the best season that he's had with the Red Sox. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a it has been a super quiet, excellent season. He didn't even really get consideration for the All Star game, and I think that he certainly deserved to be in that conversation. Yeah, I think he probably did too. Um, who is your biggest surprise on the pitching side? Positive surprise, I guess. Well, you know what? I won't limit. I won't limit you. It can be a negative surprise too. Oh boy, this one is a lot harder. Um, Brandon Workman. That's a good one. Clearly a positive. Yeah. I mean, the guy's been electric all year. 1.80 ERA. Uh, fantastic. 
Yeah, a little bit heavier on the walks than you'd like him to be, but real strong on the strikeouts. Uh, eight and one record, leading all relievers in wins, which of course is the exact stat you want to see from your relievers. So <laughs> that's uh, the one that matters, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, but he has been a bit of a bright spot in an otherwise gloomy bullpen. Um, I I don't get super excited every time I see him come in, but I, I don't want to vomit like some of these other guys, so I take that as a win. Yeah, um, his walks per nine still scare the crap out of me. They yeah. are the walks per nine you expect from a pitcher who's on his way out of baseball, not a pitcher who's got a 1.8 ERA. I mean, 6.3 guys per nine. Just to put that in perspective, that is, I mean, almost double most relievers on the team and this team doesn't have particularly good relievers Um, so that is very very high and unsustainably high Uh, that's why he's got a FIP of 3.8 so hopefully in the second half he can get that under control Um, but I like that pick I think for me the biggest surprise is Chris Sale just from a negative standpoint not being able to figure it out um it's been just a very strange year for this guy in terms of the strikeouts being there, the walks not really being out of line with his career norms, but he's just getting hammered. And when you dig into his stats, he's got a 404 ERA, which isn't good, but he's got a 312 XFIP, which is actually the best on the team amongst starters and up there and and amongst the best pitchers in baseball. Um I got to think that Chris Sale is going to get his fastball command figured out sooner than later and start getting these home runs under control because that's what really killed him this year. Um, I think that that's going to happen. I mean, I don't know. I don't see how how it couldn't with the talent he has. I feel like it has to because if it doesn't, we're trending quickly into like the the bad days of Josh Beckett where he just he can't figure it out so he gets angry so he just tries to throw something by someone and gives up a homer and then next thing you know he's throwing 28 straight fastballs and it's seven to nothing and we're sad yeah no one needs that no um who's your lvp from the pitching staff rick porcello man that hurts buddy i know i'm kind of done with him uh the one thing that's keeping me around for the rest of the season with rick porcello is that his career splits He's significantly better in the second half than he is in the first half by, like, Mm -hmm. more than a run. So I'm expecting him, whatever it is that he's got going on, that this four days off, he's like, oh, hey, you know what? I remembered how to pitch. But I don't want the Red Sox to resign him. I'm done with him. I'm done with all of this inconsistencies. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it. I don't want it back. I'm done with it. I'm sorry, Jake. I know how you feel. Um, that is how I felt about uh, Craig, Craig Kimbrell when he finally left uh, after this past year. I was just like, I just, I'm done with the Craig Kimbrell experience. Um, and we know how brilliant he is and has been at times. I think my guy for LVP, and it pains me to say it as well, but it has to be Matt Barnes. Uh, Matt Barnes is just the guy that this team was relying on to be the one true rock in this bullpen and matt barnes is a 462 era and a crap ton of blown saves matt barnes just couldn't get it done in some pretty big situations and his numbers are fantastic he's 
one of the top pitchers in all of baseball in strikeouts per nine. He's got a 2.18 xFIP, um, which is elite. But Matt Barnes has been prone to the home run and prone to getting blown up in spots where, you know, someone with his job title cannot get blown up. Uh, he's been very unreliable. Yeah, 362 BABIP and 23.5% home run to fly ball rate is bad. Yeah, I mean, that's outrageously high for that home run to fly ball rate. Him and Chris yeah. Sale. I mean, Chris Sales is 16.8 for a starter. Um, those numbers are both just super, super crazy high. Yeah. Um, and, and for Barnes, that home run to fly ball rate for him is most similar to that of Josh Smith, uh, who's got a 23.8% uh, home run to fly ball ratio. And we know that talent-wise, I mean, Barnes and Josh Smith don't even exist in the same universe. They do not. That's pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah, so that just lets you know how bad it's gotten for him. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But overall, I think we agree that there is much more work to do on the pitching side of things. So this is where I ask you about what this team needs in the second half in order to solidify this team for a second half stretch run to secure maybe that number one wild card spot. What do they need to add? Yeah, so this is where things get weird because I think this is this ties in some of the um, well, I guess there's two parts to that question, right? There's what do they need and what do we think they're going to do. So I guess right. let's start with what they need. Uh, well, I guess if we're looking at right now, or are we including um, the Evaldi and um, Darwin's and Hernandez moves? Well, let's let's at least assume that Evaldi's going to come back and go to the bullpen. Um, and let's not assume that we're going to get anything from Darwin's in because we don't know how this experiment is going to go. Yeah, all right. Well, they need another starter then because I'm done with Hector Velasquez trying to be a starter. And those bullpen days, because they don't have a bullpen that's built to do it. And I don't think you can rely on Stephen Wright, because we've seen how little it takes to re-aggravate this injury and then lose him for the rest of the season. So I don't feel great about him trying to lock down that role. I feel much better about him in the bullpen. So we're back to really where we were before, which is we still need another bullpen arm and we need another starter. So we still need two arms. Yeah, they're just two different arms. Instead of needing two bullpen arms, you need one fifth starter and one bullpen arm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that you need a fairly competent fifth starter 
and a high-end bullpen arm. I don't think just any old bullpen arm is going to get this done. I still think you need a high-end arm. Yeah, because I still think you need insurance in case Evaldi falls through. I don't think you can rely on him to be uh, an elite closer. because I'm still not sold. It's it's an interesting twist because we know he has elbow issues, right? But what is actually more taxing on a guy with arm issues? Is it using less bullets but more frequently or using more bullets at a time but more spaced out? I don't think we actually know the answer to that question. Well, Eovaldi himself has said that he believes that it's more taxing to get up and down more days than it is to go out and pitch every fifth day, which is what bothers me about this whole thing because there was a quote from Eovaldi like last week um, where he was talking about how he was kind of like feeling contrite for taking so long with this injury and that prompted him to tell the team that he was okay with the idea of going to the bullpen. So I feel right now that Eovaldi is being a good teammate in agreeing to go to the bullpen, even though it's something that he feels less physically comfortable with doing. Okay. And I I don't like that. Neither do I. So then that adds to even, you know, more to the urgency of making sure that you have some kind of insurance, because I don't think you're going to be able to rely on him to get to where he needs to go then. So that, oh boy. All right. So yeah, you're still going to need an elite reliever then. On top of that, so where we were hoping that maybe Evaldi could have been that, and then you could have just gone for like a fifth starter and then a mid-tier reliever. You know, you're still going to need the elite reliever to pair with a fifth starter. So all of the, all this really did was kind of like take out a second credit card to pay for the first, and just you still need two arms, but now you've just shifted where they're going to go. Yeah, and I think you really need minimum of two arms. I think you could still make the argument that you need fifth starter and two bullpen arms. But let's just go with the idea yeah. that they're only going to get two or at least target two. If we're And I agree with you that those are the two needs. If we're looking at the market, we've talked about the market for high-end relievers extensively, but what does the market for fifth starters look like? Are there any names out there that interest you that you think are going to be from teams that are clear sellers um one of the guys that 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 jumps out to me in our own division is marcus stroman as a fifth starter well as a fifth starter in our situation here but essentially as a starter to acquire yeah i mean i would love marcus stroman i am all about the straw show uh that i feel like he's gonna be a bit expensive but yeah, I mean, I would, I would love Stroman. I don't know exactly what it would take to get that done, but whatever it would take, I would love that. Do you, do you have any other names in mind? Um, looking a lot further down the list, um, Tanner Roark is one. He's a bit more expensive in like the cash category. He's got a ten million dollar salary. He's actually having a pretty decent year for the Reds, which who are not technically out of it in their division. Um, I think they're like four and a half games out. Because uh, everybody in the central is in it, but that's more of like a traditional, like actual fifth starter kind of guy. I'm not sure how much it would actually take to get him, but you might have to wait for them to fall a little bit further out. Um, I have no interest in Andrew Kashner. Neither do I. I don't think I have any interest in any of the Orioles starters. No. Um, one of the guys that the Red Sox were seen scouting though was Matthew Boyd from Detroit. He would be a really interesting higher end option. He would, and 
he see that's interesting because that's not going to cost a lot in terms of cash, but I would think Detroit is going to hold out for as much as they can get from somebody. And what, what do you? I mean, what would you think the Red Sox would have to give up for him? Probably a package of like a Jern Duran, uh, Denny Reyes, and like a Brandon Howlett, something like that. Like a pretty substantial package of prospects, which I'd be fine with. Yeah, I think I would too. Um, a couple of guys that I am sort of interested in from Kansas City, Brad Keller and Jacob Junis. What do you think of either of those guys? Keller, I'm much more wishy-washy on, but Junis I think would be a fine fifth starter. He would fit that mold rather well. Yeah. Um, Seattle doesn't have much to sell. They've got Mike Leak. They've got Wade LeBlanc, Marco Hernandez. Any of those guys interest you? No, they don't. Yeah, those aren't great. Uh, Miami, do you think there's any way that they could pry a higher-end guy like a Caleb Smith from Miami? I don't know. I don't know what Miami really wants to do, what their path is, where they are in their, I don't know if you'd call it a rebuild. Well, yeah, we, I think you'd definitely call it a rebuild. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the moves that they keep making, I don't, they're confusing. They, they, they keep trading prospects who are close to the majors for prospects who are not close to the majors. So they keep restarting their rebuild. So I don't know what their plan is. Well, keep in mind, though, those are not prospects that were from this current administration, the ones that they're trading. I guess that's true. So they're getting guys that they want and believe in. Yeah, so maybe you can. It's going to be interesting. I mean, it's the thing that makes this all so hard is when um, Matt and I were on Locked On Red Sox last week. We tried to go through and diagnose what teams would even be sellers at this point, but the the National League in particular is so muddled up at this point with so many teams so close to the wild card chase and so many teams even in contention in their own division. I mean, it's not even clear when you look at a division like the NL Central which teams are going to be sellers because they're all separated by four and a half games. So it's it's very difficult at this point even to know who's going to be a clear seller outside of the American League. Yeah, that's tough. Especially if you're trying to get a jump on like other teams. It's going to be really difficult to try and do that. Yeah, it sure is. Taking this to the other side of the coin in, in what we think they will do versus what they need. So this this goes into um, the comments from John Henry and that um, that Bradfoe piece. It was a bit. Uh, so we talked about it on the last last time we recorded, and the comments were pretty pointed about the off season, and kind of pointed that they should have made these changes prior to the season. But there was also a comment from Henry about how they're not adding going to add large amounts of payroll or significant payroll this season, which then kind of puts Dombrowski in a box of, okay, anybody who has a decent salary is not an option. Right. And that kind of handcuffs him going into this trade deadline. So it's kind of like, okay, we recognize that. We biffed it. Should have made all of these adjustments earlier. But now how do we approach this trade deadline if we're not going to add payroll or a significant amount of payroll? That would severely limit the options they can go after. Right, so that makes me wonder, like a guy like Stroman, who's making seven point four million, is that too much? If you package a bunch of prospects who aren't making anything related to your major league roster for seven million dollars, is that too much? Is that outside of the window of payroll? So is that going to knock him off? So are you going to have to go after someone like Matt Boyd, who 
has is under team control. And you're going to have to give up more or something like that. We have no way of knowing, right? Because the, the comments have existed on both sides. In that same article, uh, Henry said that he wasn't sure how much the team wanted to... Um, what, what was the phrasing he used? It was, um, we're, we're not sure how much money we want to lose. Um, and Dombrowski, when asked if he was given a hard limit to stay under that third threshold in the offseason, in a different article, said no, he wasn't given that limit. Um, so it it does seem sort of confusing. Right. So if that's the case, then why would that be different now? Right. What would what would keep them from going past it to add payroll and make additions to the team to make another run at the World Series again this year? Because I think I, I keep going back to a huge piece of the Red Sox kind of immediate future is whether or not J.D. Martinez is going to opt out. And the way that the current free agent market is going – Maybe he's leaning towards not because there's this, a legitimate chance that he may no teams want to sign him until next June, which would be stupid. But, Especially with going on the DL three times for his back issues this year. Right. So I think you have to approach this trade deadline uh, unless he's given you some kind of understanding at all. Like you may not have him next year. And that's a significant piece of your lineup gone. And so you have to approach this trade deadline with a win-now mentality. And you can't let teams like the Yankees, like last year, where Cleveland scooped up almost everybody that was available on the market and Houston got better. Ultimately, thankfully, it didn't end up battering just because of the momentum and the skill that, that the Red Sox had. But they did nothing at the trade deadline when they probably should have. But it ended up not coming back to bite them. They can't do that again for a second year in a row. So they need to make up their minds quickly, and it seems like they've had these conversations before, and they actually, you know, have had, like you said, you, the specific details of a hard yes or no on going past the third threshold and the the kind of conversations that you need to have if you're going to, like, target guys like Stroman or some of these other guys that are on this list. But the, the moving Evaldi to the pen and making a decision now to move Darwin's and Hernandez to the pen signals to me like they think the market for a starter is going to be cheaper than the market for the relief pitching, which is probably true considering the market for relief pitching the past couple years has been a little bit outrageous. Uh, So it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case, coupled with Evaldi, well, I mean, I guess Evaldi said he he would do it even though he feels better as a starter. But I think it's 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 more of a they think that the they'll be it'll be easier at the trade deadline to get a starter than it will be to get a reliever, so they're gonna move him into a relief role. And so they may be targeting some of these starters uh, because they'll be cheaper to get, which is I think that's where their their head was at when they made these moves. I think that there's a, a good chance that if Dave Dombrowski is gonna make a move for a starter, that it's going to be an impact guy more like a Matt Boyd because of the fact that the Red Sox do have Rick Porcello's $21 million expiring off their books at the end of this year. They've made it very clear that they want to not re-sign him. He wanted badly to re-sign with this team, and they didn't want anything to do with that. So by trading for somebody like a Boyd who they would be able to control in the future, um, the Red Sox would 
handle uh, something that was going to be an issue for them coming up in the off season, and they'd be able to do that and improve their club this year. So it seems to to make a lot of sense. And also next year, you know, if you have a guy like Matt Boyd who's going to be relatively inexpensive still next year, uh, you have Rick Porcello off the books. That's twenty one million coming off. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with Pedroia's uh, thirteen million. That's that's going to be there next year, uh, may or may not be there. Uh, you're going to have Moreland and Pierce, who is t- almost $13 million together, coming off the books. You're going to have Eduardo Nunez's $5 million coming off. And then you're also, which matters the most here, you're going to have the $18 million from Pablo Sandoval uh, coming off the books, and, and it's going to be a $5 million buyout instead uh, for him. So you're not going to have all these terribly top-heavy contracts that are players that uh, aren't really contributing to the team. Good chance there's uh, $11 million for Rusnik Castillo off the books, too. Um, yeah, so Rusnik Castillo is signed to next year for fourteen, um, but that doesn't count towards the CBT anyways, so screw it. It's a player option, though. So if he actually wants to play in the major league somewhere else, he could opt out go somewhere else. You really think he's going to walk away from $14 million? I don't know. I don't know. At 33 years old? Eh, babe, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Tough life. Yeah. So uh, we did get two listener questions today uh, from Matt Kitson, who says, with Eovaldi starting out in relief, should Dombrowski look to trade for a true fifth starter? Matt, your question was so on point, we already answered it. And... Uh, <laughs> Ben Jacobson asks, who do you envision being cut from the roster when uh, Moreland, Pierce, and Johnson are ready to come back? Um, This is a little bit of an interesting one. Um, First of all, we don't know if Pierce is going to come back with all the things that he's dealing with. Uh, Johnson, we don't even know what he's dealing with. And Moreland is expected to be back relatively shortly into the second half of the season. Um, the Red Sox, it is worth noting, have been going with that three-man bench basically all year. So I envision that when Moreland gets back, it's going to be one of the relievers that's get that gets sent down. Um, who would be the reliever that you would send down if you had to choose one today? Ooh, um, that's a good question. Um, Mine would be Ryan Brazier. Really? He struggled again today. He has not looked good. I don't think it will happen. I think they're more likely to do something like a Colton Brewer or Josh Taylor, but I don't want to see certainly not Josh Taylor go down. I wouldn't mind seeing Colton Brewer go down instead. When's Moreland coming back? We don't have a firm timeline on it, but it seems like it's probably going to be shortly after the All-Star break. Because Taylor is not listed on RedSox.com anymore. Wait, what? (laughs) Josh Taylor is not listed in the bullpen. On Red Sox. Just today. I know. Like an hour ago. I know. I I synced him. Yeah. Unless they have announced that they have sent him down. Taylor, um, I feel like he's with his last, what is it, like nine or 11 outings or so. He's earned the right to stay. Uh, Yeah, I guess I would say Brewer. I don't don't really care to see Velasquez either, but I I don't think they would do that because he's their, like, long relief guy. So that's probably going to be Brewer, I guess. Yeah, I don't like Brewer very much at all, um, so that wouldn't surprise me. I don't see uh, any 
any indication that that Taylor was sent down from any of the beat guys right now for what it's worth. Um, in, in terms of Pearson Johnson, I don't know. I guess if Johnson comes back, the most obvious answer is to send Velasquez down. Um, and when Pierce comes back, that's when things get really tricky. I probably, if I'm being honest, would DFA Eduardo Nunez for Pierce. Because I am not taking Marco Hernandez off of this team. Nope. I would not do that either. Um, I think I agree with you there. I, I'm totally fine with getting rid of Nunez. I see. I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna ask you what was the point of Eduardo Nunez anymore, um, but it seems like you're in agreement. <laughs> yeah, I. I don't. I'm so done with him. <laughs> well, that's our show today. Uh, any closing thoughts as we wrap up this second half, Keats, or first half, I should say. I think we're gonna be in for a, a strong second half. I like the optimism. I. I do think that. These guys are going to think long and hard about what has transpired over this first half. And um, this roster is just too damn talented to play with the inconsistency that they had in the first half. So I think after everything to be where they are um, gives them sort of a chance at second life. So I also am expecting big things in the second half. We do hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, please go on and subscribe to us. Anywhere you're listening to this now, you can just click subscribe. We'll come to your phone or device or whatever uh, every Monday. Um, And if you enjoyed it, please go on and rate and review us. And for those of you who have taken the time to rate and review us, we do appreciate that, all the kind words that you guys have said. Um, And you can follow us on Twitter as well. You can follow uh, the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster for all your Red Sox news. You can follow Keaton at at the Spoken Keats, and you can follow me at at Deb Jake, and you can ask us questions and interact with us there. And uh, please urge other listeners to uh, listen to the show. We always appreciate getting in new ears and uh, having you tell all your friends about this show. Um, and since it's not a fantasy baseball podcast, they, you know they won't get any added advantages. They'll just be able to share in the joy that you guys have listening to us. So we do appreciate it. Thanks for being with us for the second for the first half, and we hope that we will have a much more fun second half to talk about. <laughs>